Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is CNN Breaking News. Today on Inside Politics, negotiators are racing to try to extend the temporary truce between Israel and Hamas, with just hours left before the current deal expires. A top Qatari official tells CNN he's hopeful they'll be able to continue this pause. And it comes as we are standing by for Hamas to release the final group of hostages as part of the current deal. CNN is covering this fast-moving story from all angles. I want to start with my colleague, Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv. Wolf, it's nice to have you on again on yet another critical day where you are. A very critical day indeed. And i got to tell you, Dana, Israelis are very nervous right now. They want to see this temporary pause continued as well because they want to see more hostages coming back to Israel. There's a lot of tension going on right now. They don't know what's going to happen. Every day, it seems, Dan, and I've been here for the past several days, every day there's nervousness. Will there be more hostages coming forward? Will there be a delay? And there have been delays in previous days, as we all remember. Or will this go smoothly? More hostages will be released. More aid will go into uh, Gaza uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I got to tell you that uh, there's a lot of tension right now, maybe more so today than in previous days, because it's unclear uh, how Hamas is going to behave and what's going to be going on. So it's going to be a dramatic, important day to be sure one way or another. But let's hope the temporary pause continues so that more Israeli hostages, women and children, especially those, those are the ones that Hamas is releasing, as you know, will be able to come back home to Israel. Dana? Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can definitely uh, sense that nervousness there. And Wolf, we're going to get back to you because you have an important interview that we'll bring to our viewers later in the show. Now I want to go to the White House. That's where CNN's Arlette Signs is. Arlette, you have been do, doing some reporting on the possibility of American hostages being released today. What are you hearing? Well, Dana, the White House had said that they were hopeful American women hostages could potentially get out today. And the early indications, according to reporting from our colleague Caitlin Collins and Alex Marquardt, is that it is expected that at least one American will be included in this group uh, leaving Gaza today. Now, this comes as the White House has said that there are two American women that they believe fall into the category uh, of those who could have been released in this negotiated release. But the White House has not provided names or updates on their conditions. And they're being quite careful uh, with what they say because they want to make sure that everything goes according to plan. If you take a look at what happened when, with the release of Abigail Adon, that four-year-old who had been held captive since the start of this October 7th attack, uh, she, it was not confirmed that she was uh, included in this hostage list until the Red Cross physically had her in their hands. That is likely something that will happen uh, today as the U.S. wants to make sure that everything goes according According to plan, that these uh, hostages are safely out of Gaza, but uh, sources have said uh, that they believe that there will be at least one American citizen included in that hostage release today. Really important reporting, uh, at least one American citizen. And we do 
uh, want to reiterate that there are more, at least five, maybe more uh, American citizens, including, of course, men who are not on, uh, on the table right now for release. Thank you so much for that new reporting. Arlette Wolf, back to you in Tel Aviv. Dan, I want to get to a sobering update right now, very sobering update. Israeli forces say they're assessing, keyword assessing and claim from Hamas, that the youngest Israeli hostage and uh, the family are no longer alive. The terror group is claiming 10-month-old Kafir Bibas, his four-year-old brother Ariel, and their mother Shiri were killed in an Israeli airstrike. That's the Hamas claim. I want to bring in CNN's Oren Lieberman for us. Oren is also with, uh, Oren is also with us here in Tel Aviv. Hamas has often made claims like this before. Oren, what can you tell us about this Hamas claim? Wolf, let's pick our way through this one very carefully based on what we know and what we don't know. We got a statement a short time ago from the Israeli military, the IDF, saying they are assessing a claim that has come from Hamas that the family of 10-month-old Kfir Bibas, the youngest Israeli hostage in captivity, his older brother, four-year-old Ariel, and their mother, Shiri Bibas, were killed in an Israeli airstrike. Again, Israel hasn't confirmed that news. They say they are simply assessing that and that they have been in touch with the Bibas family. We have heard repeatedly from the Bibas family. My colleague, Caitlin Collins, and I have spoken with the family, and they have really put pressure on the government and the Israeli community to do everything in their power to bring that family home. They waited every day to see if the name of Fir Bibas and his brother and mother would come up on the list of hostages to be released, and every day they were in anguish as the names were not on that list. Earlier today, Hamas's military wing, the Al-Qassam Brigades, put out a statement with very little information, simply saying that 10-month-old Fir Bibas, 4-year-old Ariel, and the mother Shiri had been killed in an Israeli airstrike. They provided no evidence to support that claim, and they do not provide a date for that airstrike. It is worth pointing out that we are on day six of a truce at this point, meaning there hasn't been an Israeli airstrike or, or a strike otherwise in Gaza since Friday. So it's very unclear when Hamas claims this happened. Israel clearly holding Hamas responsible, even as the Israeli spokesperson uh, for the military, Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, said Hamas had transferred or, or given the Bibas family onto another terrorist organization or militant organization in Gaza. The IDF still holds Hamas responsible. I'll read you a short part of this statement they, uh, they put out earlier. Hamas is wholly responsible for the security of all hostages in the Gaza Strip. Hamas must be held accountable and Hamas must immediately release our hostages. So as we wait for more information about this, we will certainly keep you posted on anything more we learn from the Bibas family. They obviously are trying to learn more information as well. Hamas is looking into that Al-Qassam uh, Brigade's claim. It is also worth pointing out, Wolf, that the family has repeatedly called for the Red Cross to be able to visit their hostages in Gaza, their loved ones, which should be allowed under international law. Hamas had not allowed that to happen. Oren, what else are you hearing about uh, the possible exchange of hostages that's set for today? We hope it we hope it happens, and the possible extension of the temporary truce. It is a little later than we've seen hostage, hostage exchanges happen. We have seen one or two times, perhaps, the exchange and the release happen later than tonight, but there really haven't been any roadblocks or delays that we've heard of, so we do expect the process here to begin pretty soon, I would imagine. Uh, it is 10 Israeli women and children on the sixth day, of this truce here, and we expect to see then 30 Palestinian women and children released from Israeli prisons. As of right now, 
This is the extent of the truce and the agreement so far. But the countries have expressed quite a bit of optimism that it will be extended at least a day or two. The condition the Israelis have placed on it is they'll extend it another 24 hours, the truce and the humanitarian aid going into Gaza, for every 10 Israeli women and children released from captivity here. A senior Israeli official also said they're evaluating the possibility of extending the truth so that the strongest statement we've seen from the Israelis so far, Wolf, will probably learn more after we see the hostages released. And let's hope we do see those hostages released. Oren Lieberman reporting from here in Tel Aviv. Oren, thank you very much. Dana, back to you. Thanks, Wolf. In the weeks since the October 7th attacks in Israel, killing thousands, over a thousand uh, Israelis, including women, children, and doing so with some barbaric uh, ways. We have seen an alarming rise of anti-Semitism around the world, particularly here in the U.S. Jew hate. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the highest ranking Jewish elected official in the U.S., just addressed this crisis in a powerful speech on the Senate floor. I have noticed a significant disparity be between how Jewish people regard the rise of anti-Semitism and how many of my non-Jewish friends regard it. To us, the Jewish people, the rise of anti-Semitism is a crisis, a five-alarm fire that must be extinguished. For so many other people of goodwill, it is merely a problem matter of concern. After October 7th, Jewish Americans are feeling singled out, targeted, and isolated. In many ways, we feel alone. CNN's Melanie Zanona joins me now from Capitol Hill. Melanie, it's so interesting to hear somebody like Chuck Schumer say what he just said uh, and really take up the mantle to speak for Jews in America in a way that we don't always hear uh, Jewish leaders, even and especially uh, Chuck Schumer, do. Yeah, yeah, it, that was a really powerful moment on the Senate floor. And for Chuck Schumer, it is personal. He is the highest ranking Jewish lawmaker in the country. And that is why he said he felt compelled to speak out and to draw attention to what he views as a crisis in the country. But what he really wanted to convey here were the fears and anxieties that Jewish Americans feel in the country right now. He ticked off a number of incidents since that October 7th attack. And he also described what it felt like to hear some of his fellow citizens say that the war and that Hamas was justified in some way, a message that could have been directed at some members of his own party. Now, of course, this speech comes as Congress has been wrestling with trying to do an aid package for both Israel and Ukraine. As of right now, though, that package really hinges on whether they can find bipartisan agreement on a border security provision package. That is something that Republicans have been demanding be included in any aid package that includes money for Ukraine. But that is a complex issue, Dana. As you know, it's something that has long eluded Washington for many years. So we'll see if they can get it done. As of right now, they are trying to make some progress, hoping to get a handshake deal by the end of this week on that part of the package. Could see something on the floor next week. But it's a high task over here in Congress to get something like that done. So all eyes, we'll see what the, whether they can get it done, Dana. High task to get anything done in Congress yeah. these days, probably fair to say. Uh, even and especially things that historically have had a lot of bipartisan support. Thank you, Melanie. Appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. I'm Dana Bash in Washington. And I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv. Uh, We're standing by uh, to hear if Israel and Hamas will extend their temporary truce with just hours to go before their current deal expires. Earlier today, we drove to Kfar Qasab, north of Tel Aviv, to sit down for a one-on-one, very special interview with Arab-Israeli Knesset member Mansour Abbas. He's a Palestinian citizen of Israel. Watch this. The Israeli government of Prime Minister Netanyahu, they say their goal is to destroy Hamas in Gaza. Uh, And they say that will bring peace. But what, if any, role should Israel be playing after, let's say they do, defeat Hamas in Gaza? What role should Israel play in the future of Gaza, if any? First, it's uh, important to uh, note that uh, the problem that we see that uh, Israel is working right now on a military action solely. And what the state needs to do is also offer uh, a diplomatic approach simultaneous that would correspond with the military approach. Because what we've seen, at least in the first half of this uh, war, is that the number of victims is is too high, uh, both on the Palestinian side and on the Israeli side. And the continuation of an only militant approach will not bring peace. Uh, It needs another diplomatic angle in the same time as Israel is trying to uh, defeat Hamas. Uh, But if we talk about the day after the war, the first thing that needs to be done in order to see real change is to strengthen the Palestinian authority. And doing so needs to come through recognition. A recognition through the UN Security Council that would immediately recognize the state of Palestine. And this state needs to work on removing all militant groups and taking down the arms of any militant group existing and to work with the international community to strengthen the values of peace within the Palestinian community, uh, reconstruction of Gaza, and to start working towards a diplomatic uh, approach for a peace with the Israeli side. So both sides need to work simultaneously and the Israeli side needs to bring a diplomatic approach to end this conflict. 
On the Palestinian side, it needs to uh, take down all militant groups and work as one state as well. And if both sides work together, we can see a real change. Did Israel go too far in its military response to Hamas? Because as you correctly point out, thousands of innocent Palestinians in Gaza were killed and injured in the course of the Israeli military action, airstrikes, the ground operations. Did Israel go too far? Uh, looking at the, uh, the Israeli response, it's clear that the response happened due to what happened on October 7th. Uh, 1200, about 1,200 uh, people were killed, the vast majority of them uh, civilians, and we saw a very harsh uh, response due to the horrors that Israel saw on October 7th. But uh, it's important to mention that the use of force, and this is why we saw a use of force in, in that, uh, in, in that uh, drastic numbers that affected Palestinian civilians uh, and brought a, the, to the death of a lot of Palestinian innocent people. But it's important to say that the use of, uh, of strength and power alone does not work. And it didn't work to protect the people of uh, 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 the, the Israeli citizens living on, uh, across from the Gaza Strip. They were attacked, regardless of Israel's uh, existing military power. And on the same time, uh, the military power that Hamas tried to exert through the militant groups has also have not brought any uh, successes or any achievements to the Palestinian people. So both sides need to realize that the use of power on both sides have not led us to any successes or any improvement of the situation. The only thing that's happening is that we're breeding more and more hate on both sides. And I got to tell you, Dana, Mansour Abbas, uh, this Palestinian citizen of Israel, a member of the Knesset, Israel's parliament, very impressive. He's got very strong views on a wide range of very sensitive issues. And we're going to have a lot more of this special interview coming up later tonight in the Situation Room as well. But he's very impressive. I got to tell you, he's got uh, mm -hmm. some good ideas on what to do going forward. So it's worth hearing what he has to say. Oh, absolutely. I, I look forward to hearing the rest of this interview on the Situation Room later. A, a couple of things, Wolf. One is the last thing that he was talking about. What a an important question that you asked about whether Israel, of course, he is a member of uh, uh, the government in Israel, whether Israel went too far. And he didn't say yes. He didn't say no, but he didn't say yes. And his response was so thoughtful, uh, basically saying, I understand why Israel did what they did, because so many civilians were so brutally murdered. And yet, the problem is that now there's a war and it's breeding even more hate. Yeah, I just want to be precise. Uh, Mansour Abbas was a member of a previous Israeli government. He's not uh -huh. a member of Netanyahu's government right now. He is a member Thank of the you. Knesset. Thank you for clarifying that. And, and let's that. not forget about, about 20 percent of the citizens of Israel mm -hmm. are Palestinians, Palestinian mm -hmm. Muslims, Palestinian Christians, Druze, others. Uh, and, and he speaks for so many of them. So he's got a very, very influential voice yeah. in this country. Uh, uh, but he's, uh, he's diplomatic to a certain degree, but he's very blunt. And he wants to work exactly, I think, what uh, President Biden wants to see, what's called a two-state solution. Israel living alongside a new state of Palestine. He doesn't know if that's going to happen, but he, he'd like to be able to do whatever he can to try to make it happen. He wants to work 
with everyone outside yeah. Arab countries, internet, the international community, to see if that can get going. Uh, and I'm sure he's been be more than happy to meet with President Biden to see if there's anything he can do to help get this so-called two-state solution off the ground. We'll see what happens on that front. But it's worth hearing what he has to say, a unique voice in Israel. Yeah, he is. And he, as you said, he is uh, quite influential. It was also interesting, Wolf, uh, to hear him talk about the need for a two-state solution, as you said, but the need for diplomacy with uh, the Palestinians. The question now has been the question for many years, which is, with whom? Who, who is going to be that diplomatic partner uh, for Israel, which I'm sure you will get into as well uh, with him later in the interview. Thank you so much for bringing some of that to us, Wolf. Appreciate it. Thank you. And money from deep pockets of wealthy donors. It's what every 2024 candidate wants, and it's what Nikki Haley just scored. But first, CNN exclusively obtained Liz Cheney's new book, and the former congresswoman is spilling a lot of tea. What she's saying about her former Republican colleagues and their unwavering loyalty to Donald Trump. That's next. Former Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney is delivering a scathing critique of the GOP, calling her former colleagues enablers of Donald Trump. In her new book, exclusively obtained by CNN, Cheney condemns her party for publicly backing the former president's unsubstantiated claims of election fraud after many rejected the claims in private. In one astonishing episode, she writes about Republican Congressman Mark Green on January 6th signing objections to election results. Quote, as he moved down the line, signing his name to the pieces of paper, Green said sheepishly to no one in particular, the things we do for the orange Jesus. Let's discuss this with our panel, Jackie Kucinich, the Washington Bureau Chief of the Boston Globe, Margaret Tollef, senior contributor to Axios, Tia Mitchell, Washington correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and CNN special correspondent, Jamie Gangal, who is the one who obtained this book ahead of its release next week. Thank you all for being here, Jamie. Um, <laughs> we can start with Orange, Orange Jesus, uh, but, but as you, um, mix in orange jesus into this uh, conversation i want to pull one more quote from this book that you obtained this is a conversation that liz cheney says that she had with kevin mccarthy mar-a-lago what the hell kevin mccarthy they're really worried trump's not eating so they asked me to come see him cheney what you went to mar-a-lago because trump's not eating mccarthy yeah he's really depressed yeah so there been, there's been a lot of pickup on this story in various uh, other news organizations. One headline said, the most bonkers explanation for why Kevin McCarthy went to Mar-a-Lago. And I think it's true. It, look, that was just three weeks after January 6th, we, we have to remember. And he thinks that Liz Cheney's going to believe that that's why he went running back to Trump. But... This book is filled with things that are stunning, as we say, but not surprising. Mm -hmm. We have heard all of these Republicans saying things privately and then what they say publicly. In this book, she names names. She has the receipts. They're based on text messages, emails, meetings, personal conversations. And you see the hypocrisy. I mean... It should be called Don't Mess With Liz Cheney. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting when she talks about, particularly a, a lot of the passages that you've noted in your article where she talks about Kevin McCarthy. I think I almost forgot that she was the Republican conference chair at one point to see how, you know, distance she is to know that at the time she was a leader among House Republicans. And when she said to him, what do you think my dad would think? What would Bush think? What would Reagan think? And his reply was, it's not their party anymore. Mm -hmm. And truer words have never been spoken. I, I mean, I think he's right. But to me, that's the key, that the Republican Party of today is Trump's party. It's it's ultra conservative. It's full of hardliners, but it's also full of people who demand loyalty from Donald Trump. And I think that's, to me, one of the biggest takes, takeaways from Absolutely. what we've read so far. Uh, the Orange Jesus episode certainly shows that Mark Green is not just like some random guy who ended up in Congress. He is a physician. He was a West Point graduate. He was a decorated uh, member of the military who was who, involved in the capture of Saddam Hussein interviewed Saddam Hussein, he knows Trump didn't win the election. He knows Joe he Biden knows won better. the election. Right. But it is, um, it, it, is, it is that, those illustrations, uh, that I think there are a lot of, um, still a lot of Americans in the Republican Party who really aren't sure who won the 2020 election, who believe all that. Mm -hmm. But there are not many members of Congress who don't know exactly who won the 2020 election. And the calculus around that is, I think, is what this book illustrates. And you know, uh, the member of Congress who now has the gavel, second in line to the yeah. presidency, Mike Johnson, uh, is part of the group, maybe even, I would say, a leader in the group to try to push uh, against the notion of Joe Biden becoming president and uh, pushing the idea that Donald Trump did. This is something that, that uh, Liz Cheney said about him. Johnson appeared especially susceptible to flattery from Trump and aspired to being anywhere in Trump's orbit. When I confronted him with the flaws in his legal arguments, Johnson would of often concede or say something to the effect of, we just need to do this one last thing for Trump. I think, to me, reading this again, the most striking thing is, is the legal argument. Because one of the... Um, bona fides of, uh, of, of Mike Johnson is that he's a very good lawyer. And that's how he came up as a very good lawyer. And so the arguments that he was making after the election in 2020 and the, the work that he did, even on a, an amicus brief, was, were legal arguments. And the fact that Liz Cheney, also a lawyer, were, was going at him saying, no, no. And according to her, he said, well, maybe it's not so much about that. But he also, nothing has changed, right? I mean, he's already endorsed the former president for, um, for, for president again. So this is someone who has remained uh, faithful to the former president throughout. And the other thing that strikes me about this, about your excerpts, Jamie, is just how consistent, not only from Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Peter Meyer, who's not running again, but for Senate, um, they've had the same accounts of the members who said, you know, I would love to do this, but I'm afraid. Um, but, you know, I, but I, but I want to run for re-election again. But, but, but it's all very consistent. So for those who are trying to discredit her, discredit her, and we've seen that in your reporting, some of the things that have been said, she's not the only one. There's a lot of people saying the exact same thing who took the, a different path. I, I will say it's interesting. Like Trump said this belongs in the fiction section. Mm -hmm. And Kevin McCarthy's spokesman said something about that she has uh, McCarthy derangement syndrome. Nobody's saying it's that not what true. we reported exactly. is not yeah. true. Or what <laughs> she said is not true. Yeah. Correct.
Tell me about the um, parts of this book about Nancy Pelosi. So I think, and I think just big picture, one of the most interesting things about the January 6th committee was the relationship between Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney. And she writes about that in the book, that she feels like a visitor from another planet when she goes in for this first meeting. But there's a part that really struck me because Pelosi's staff, Cheney writes, went to Pelosi before she invited her into the committee and they gave her all of these things, this list of nasty political things, typical sort of political trash talk that Cheney had said about Pelosi. Mm -hmm. And Pelosi said to them, Cheney writes, why are you wasting my time with things that don't matter? Mm. And I think what you see in the book is, on the surface, it seems like an unlikely alliance but they're really very similar. There was no daylight between them. That is so interesting, yeah. I mean, she's a grown-up. She's seen a lot exactly. of that before. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Great reporting. Uh, thank you all. Don't go anywhere, because coming up, Nikki Haley scored a big endorsement this week from a group with some deep, deep pockets. Will money help put a dent in Donald Trump's huge lead? We're going to go live to New Hampshire after a quick break. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Now the big development this week in the 2024 GOP primary race, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley secured the backing of one of the most powerful Republican grassroots organizations. CNN's Jeff Zeleny has been following Haley and her climbing poll numbers in early primary states. You are in one of those primary states, the first primary state of New Hampshire. Jeff, what are you hearing? Well, Dana, there is no doubt uh, we are really seeing a tale of two Republican races. Donald Trump, of course, is leading this field in every metric. But Nikki Haley is also uh, coming on very strong. And that endorsement from uh, the, the Hoke Network is so key because they are spending money on it, millions of dollars in television. Also, they have an army of conservative activists. So there's no doubt that she is seeing bigger crowds. She's trying to win the race for second place, if you will. Of course, from there, though, if even if she would go head to head against Donald Trump, she faces many obstacles, which she is well aware of. But that is getting ahead of ourselves. She is holding two more events here this afternoon in New Hampshire. She's trying to appeal to independent voters, trying to appeal to some of those Republican voters who want to move on from Donald Trump. Of course, the question is, can she win over some of those uh, Trump voters who are still somewhat supportive of him? We got a bit of a reality check earlier this week. We were in South Carolina, her home state, where, of course, is the first a Southern primary on February 24th, a month after New Hampshire. We had a long conversation with Deborah Hutton. She's a real estate agent who moved to South Carolina from Michigan. She had this to say about that divide between Trump voters and people looking for someone else. I think that there are people on the Trump side that will never vote for anybody other than him. But I think that if he does get the, you know, candidacy, that he's not going to win the general election. So I actually think that she's the better candidate and more appealing to everybody. 
Again, uh, this goes in the order of the calendar. So the Iowa caucuses are on January 15th. Can she successfully uh, take on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis there? That is his final stand, followed a week later by here in New Hampshire. What does Chris Christie do? He's going out after some of those independent voters as well. But Dana, one key metric may come next week, that fourth Republican debate. Does Chris Christie qualify for that debate? He hasn't yet, we are told. So that will be a central factor in terms of what he will do going ahead. But for now, she's on the rise in that race for second place. The question, is that a consolation prize or an actual pathway mm. to the nomination? Mm. Yeah. So, well, so well put. Great reporting as always, Jeff. Thank you so much. And reporters are back here with us. Uh, let's go back to the big endorsement that Nikki Haley got. It's the Koch Network. Uh, it is the Americans for Prosperity Action Committee. That's where they funnel their money. And, and Margaret, I want to read what their memo said in part when they announced their support. With the largest grassroots operation in the country and a presence in all 50 states, AFP Action's endorsement will put thousands of AFP Action activists and grassroots leaders into the field with the focus on the early primary states knocking on doors and urging voters to support Nikki Haley. Yep. So it's not just the money, it's, well, it's how the money can be spent. And in this case, they're talking about boots on the ground. It's field organization mm -hmm. and it's advertising. Yeah. And in theory, those two things could be very, very powerful. Any candidate would rather have those to benefit them than not. Uh, the question is, will that matter? And what uh, Trump's campaign spokesperson has been saying is that there's no amount of money um, mm -hmm. that is going to dislodge the core of the base support, the MAGA support um, for Donald Trump. So I think we'll see. Um, the, uh, the Koch brothers network is extremely powerful, but it doesn't always make them successful. Um, they've never loved Donald Trump and it didn't work the first time around. And so, uh, but if you're Nikki Haley, you definitely want this because it weakens Ron DeSantis and it gives you the ability to stay in the race, at least through South Carolina, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about, when we talk about money, like let's put the actual figures up on the screen. In 2020, uh, AFP spent $60.5 million, 2022, almost 80 million. And right now, this is what we're talking about here, almost $75 million <laughs> cash on hand. Oh. And they're saying- Inflation. I mean, this yeah. is, well, yeah, <laughs> this is gonna go for Nikki Haley. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the stakes are. The investment, she'll love, she'll benefit from it. It might help nudge her a little bit along the way, but at the end of the day, the polling shows she's way behind. So she needs more than mm -hmm. a little bit of a nudge here and there. I think what the voter um, you showed in the package what she said is kind of at the core of it. There are some voters, many voters, who are with Trump and they're not changing their minds. Mm -hmm. So the question is what type of, he has a ceiling, but is that ceiling enough to um, get him over the hump? Or are there voters who are willing to consider another candidate, particularly if they believe Trump can't win in the general election? Mm -hmm. But again, there are many polls that show Trump can win in a general election. So I don't know if that threat will, will um, cause some people yeah. to reconsider. It's, Trump is obviously far and away the front runner. This is a story about Nikki Haley. This is also a story about the governor of Florida. Yeah. Ron DeSantis, because he, in the, in the past, has gotten the endorsement of this group and the help from this group in his past races. Uh, I want you to listen to what he said on Newsmax yesterday about Nikki Haley getting the endorsement. 
this is part of a larger pattern with her uh, where she's really tried to ingratiate herself with the political uh, and economic establishments. And those establishments have failed this country. Candidates that are establishment candidates will not win elections in this country nationally. I don't think he said that when he got their endorsement. <laughs> uh, no, and they were pretty um, peeved when this endorsement came out and had all sorts of nasty things to say about the coconut group. Listen, Nikki Haley is his main rival for the nomination. He wouldn't even admit that until a couple weeks ago. They were saying this is a two-man race. Au contraire, it is not. Nikki Haley is definitely has gotten under his skin. Now, the debate next week could be a way for him to change momentum. The debates have been very good for Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. She's really, I think she's gotten a, a big boost more than anyone else mm -hmm. from them. But I don't think going on Newsmax and sounding like you're, you know, the, the verbal version of a cat's fur being rubbed backwards, you're just so annoyed. <laughs> That, I don't know that that is really going to be win the hearts and minds of those. Who are I'm, still just, trying to I'm just like I'm soaking in that imagery right now. That was that's a new one. I like that jacket. Here for you. Ads matter because yeah. what are the ads going to be? Are the ads going to be elevating Nikki Haley or are the ads going to be going yes. after the heart? Yes. of Donald Trump. But hold on. I, I just want to first of all, don't you think both? I mean, who knows? We'll see. They don't, they, as you said, they don't really love Donald Trump. Uh, Nikki Haley did respond to DeSantis this morning. Let's hear what she said. I think that's what a candidate says when they're losing. You know, I mean, I think you look, there's nothing establishment about a candidate who was the Tea Party candidate who ran for governor. There's nothing establishment when you have Americans for Prosperity, the most conservative grassroots organization in the country, come out and endorse me. I think he's saying what he has to say because he's grasping at this point. Right. It's also interesting that she's going to be positioning herself as an anti-establishment candidate. I, she's pretty establishment, right. but I mean, uh, but yes, everything she's saying. Yeah, but she, she's been so far ha has had good retorts to this, but she's going to have to weather a lot of attacks because now that she has this, yeah. it's just going to put a target on her and right. going to be coming at her. But I think she's shown again through these debates in her response, she does better than DeSantis right now at having better retorts to his attacks. He's going to have to get a little bit sharper. All right, everybody, stand by. Up next, he says he's not going to resign, but George Santos is on the cusp of a vote to expel him from Congress. So will his fellow Republicans give him the boot? We have new details coming up. The clock is ticking for embattled Congressman George Santos. A vote to expel him from the House could come this week. CNN's Manu Raju is following this from Capitol Hill. In fact, Manu, I know you have some information about the timing of this vote. Yeah, we expect it to happen Friday now, not Thursday. And it's still unclear about whether or not there will be the votes, a two-thirds majority, to kick him out of the House. The Speaker of the House told me earlier this morning that he has, quote, real reservations about the precedent that this was set to kick out George Santos. He would be the first member ever to be kicked out of the House who has not been convicted of a crime or was not a member of the Confederacy. But in talking to Republican congressman. It is very clear that the conference is divided over this, even as support is growing for his ouster. I think we get to about 150 Republican yeses. I, uh, there's a decent sense in the conference that the ethics committee um, is the due process or is the process uh, that should be afforded a member. And frankly, if it was put to a vote with his people in an election right now, you wouldn't win that election either. So I don't think his own constituents would, would support him staying. Let his voters deal with it. He's doing, he did, George Santos did what he did to his people in his district that elected him. Let them take the, uh, let them deal with it.
Now, the numbers are the question still. They would require 53 Republicans to go from voting against expelling George Santos to voting for it in order to get to the 290 needed to expel him from the House. Right now, our count is 18 Republicans have switched from no to yes. A lot of undecided members. So, Dana, will they listen to the Speaker of the House or will they listen to the Ethics Committee, which provided that damning information about his conduct? Yeah. And then there's a question of whether or not he's going to resign, which I guess is maybe not as much of a question now. Um, Manu, thank you so much. Appreciate your reporting as always. And thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a break. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.